Welcome everybody to today's episode of the Jadava Show. I'm your host, Jacob Valliere. It is glo- it is great, excuse me, to have you with us on a Tuesday evening. A lot of you are probably listening to this Wednesday afternoon, but I'm recording this Tuesday evening on July 6th, 2021. Hope you all had a great 4th of July weekend celebrating our independence. I know I did. Uh, Claire and I went down to visit her family in Moorhead City, North Carolina at the beach and uh, had a couple of great days on the boat. I got to see some fireworks on Sunday night, which was the 4th of July, and uh, we were just able to kick back and relax. It was a three-day weekend. The uh, place I work at was closed on Monday in honor of the holiday, and so I had a nice three-day weekend, and uh, it was all great. And so it was nice to be able to kick back and relax after you know a lot of consecutive five-day work weeks to this week is only a uh, four-day week. And so I'm done with Tuesday, got three days left. So anyway, uh, enough about that. Hope you all had a safe, good, um, and yeah, reiterate safe 4th of July. I know a lot of people um, have gotten hurt over the years uh, with fireworks. Um, Thankfully didn't this weekend. But um, so, you know, we were there and, you know, um, couple of people that I know down in Moorhead told me I haven't done anything on the podcast in about a month and a half, which was true. I had forgotten, you know, I am busy working. There's a lot to do during the week. I don't have time on the weekends. And I finally caught time here today, the night that the NBA finals open up. And I figured, what the heck, I'll go ahead and give it a shot. And so uh, here we are. And glad to have you with us. So, um, Talk NBA Finals. We got Phoenix, Milwaukee, the finals everyone predicted at the beginning of the year, Bucks and Suns. And uh, I, uh, first of all, I like Phoenix to win this game and to win this series in five and, and potentially a sweep. Um, I think they'll win tonight. Obviously, a lot of you will hear this uh, on Wednesday or after when the game will have already happened. But this is before the game, and I. Would like to think that Phoenix is going to win the game and win the series pretty easily um, because I think they're the better team. You look at, I think they have the two best players of the series, uh, Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I think they're easily the two best players. I think they're more valuable on the court than Giannis is. Even though Giannis has won two straight MVPs before this season, I, I, I just don't find him to be as talented or as valuable to his team as Chris Paul or Booker. You know, I see Booker as an on-the-rise Kobe-like player, and Chris Paul has been one of the best players in the NBA over the last a little over a decade. Um, and so he's a top-ten player in the league the last 15 years, finally gets to play in the finals. I think Chris Paul's the best player in this series and the best bet to win finals MVP if the Suns win. But there are certain things in life that initially they seem good. All right, initially... It seems like a good thing. And then once it happens, you're like, well, you know, I probably, you know, it just doesn't work out the way I thought it would. Give an example. A lot of people would love to get a promotion at work. What are the pros to getting a promotion? (laughs) You get paid more. And that's why people beg their bosses to get promoted. I, I want a promotion. I want a promotion. Give me more work. I'll do it. I just want to get... I, that pay bump, five, six more dollars per hour, I want it. They're like, all right, well, we'll give you a pay raise. We'll give you a, we'll give you a promotion. So you get a promotion, and initially you're excited. You're making more money. 
And then you realize instead of working nine to five, you're working seven to six or seven to seven. So you're working like three to four hours longer every day. You get a, you know, you only have one hour of lunch and all of a sudden a lot more responsibilities fall on you. And when you don't meet those responsibilities, instead of it getting pushed back to a manager, wait, you are the manager. And so now all those fall on you. So initially that promotion at work That looked like a good thing. Get paid more, get more respect around the building. You know, this is going to be a good thing. And then you're like, okay, well, I have a lot more responsibility. I got to work later, get to work earlier. First one in, last one out. I think I like this promotion. Then you're looking for a new job. So uh, you think getting to the NBA finals is a good thing. Win the Eastern Conference. That's a good thing. You would think. However, the Milwaukee Bucks making the NBA Finals, I have seen it as if it is not a good thing. People will think I'm crazy. What are you talking about? They make the NBA Finals. They won the Eastern Conference. Of course that's a good thing. Is it? Milwaukee barely beat Brooklyn in the second round of the playoffs. But they beat Brooklyn, and Brooklyn's got all these stars. Yeah, okay, but Brooklyn has no bench. So what happens when you have no bench? Your stars have to play more. Kevin Durant was playing 48 minutes a game. He was exhausted. Still scored 40-plus almost every game against Milwaukee. Couldn't guard him. Couldn't guard anybody. They got a break. Kyrie Irving was hurt. James Harden was at like 60% at best. Was not shooting the ball well. And all you had was an exhausted KD you had to defend against. And it took overtime of Game 7 to beat him. And it took a KD exhausted air ball to barely squeak by him in the final seconds of overtime of Game 7 for Milwaukee to get past Brooklyn. So they got past them. Okay, They got all the breaks in that series. And they barely beat him. Then they get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And Trey Young gets hurt. This is Trey Young. Like the best player, in my opinion, he was the best or second best player of the series. He gets hurt for the Atlanta Hawks. And you don't have Trey Young. Okay, they, they don't have Trey Young at all. So you gotta you gotta survive. You gotta you gotta beat a team whose next best player is Clint Capella. Danilo Gallinari, Boyan Magdanovich. You gotta beat those guys. <laughs> and what happened? They, they got blown out in game four. I know Giannis was hurt in that game, but before Giannis got hurt, Milwaukee was still getting blown out. And it took a Giannis injury, and they still beat him. It took him six games to beat the pretty much Trey Youngless Atlanta Hawks, who were under 500 at the All-Star break. And we're not playing with another star. Without their star, they have no other stars. Barely beat them. Took them six games. Could have gone to seven. And now Milwaukee is playing Phoenix. Who is fully healthy. Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton, Mikal Bridges. They're all healthy. And they're all loaded. DeAndre Ayton is a double-double machine in the playoffs. Devin Booker is a point machine. Chris Paul, an assist machine. 
They are the best team in the playoffs. Everybody included. Okay, they mop the floor most of the time with the Clippers, who were excellent. They beat Utah, the number one seed, beat them in six. Beat the number one seed in six to make their first ever conference finals, and they couldn't even last seven games against Phoenix. Phoenix is good. But what was my point? Milwaukee making the finals is a bad thing. Because Milwaukee, their number one star is Giannis. He can't shoot. Can't shoot free throws. Can't shoot a jumper. I mean, he's unstoppable. He's a, he's a rim protector extraordinaire. He's amazing. Other than that, his game's not that great. I mean, it's two-time MVP for a reason. Eastern Conference champion. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer one day. But they're not winning this series. Okay, and it's probably not going to even go six. And next year, Brooklyn gets a bench. Philadelphia adds another star. Milwaukee wouldn't even make the Eastern Conference Finals next year. Because your number two option is Chris Middleton, who on a great team is a three. But on this team, he's a two. And in my opinion, he's a below average two. He can shoot when he wants, sometimes. He's not always great. He doesn't always shoot over 50%. And when he doesn't, the Bucks often fail. I think Chris Middleton is in a weird way the Bucks' most valuable player. Because when he's on, they, are plus, they have scored over 100 points in the playoffs when Chris Middleton's on the floor. And, I think that, and they're minus eight when Chris Middleton's off the floor. It's funny because Giannis missed two games of the Eastern Conference. Giannis has missed two games in these playoffs, and the Bucks nearly produced two blowout wins in Giannis' absence. Huh. Drew Holiday is more valuable than Giannis. But Drew Holiday's not exactly a one or a two. He's a three. On a great team, he's a four, maybe, or maybe a really nice three. But Chris Middleton, on a great team, like Milwaukee, who's got a great bench, they got Giannis, a two-time MVP, the best they can do behind him is Chris Middleton. Great three on some teams, but as a two, he's a below-average option. But making the finals is going to seem to Milwaukee like they did something. Like, oh, here we go. We're, see, we're good. We're good with Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday because we made it to the finals. We won a game or two in the finals. We may not have won it, but we were still good enough. And guess what? They have one of the worst halftime adjustment coaches in the league in Mike Budenholzer, who, if Milwaukee loses that game seven to the Nets, he gets fired for not leading this team to the conference finals. Now he's led them to the NBA finals for the first time ever. There's no way they're firing him. This is the farthest he's ever gotten the Bucks. They're literally four wins away from winning the championship. So they're going to look at that. They're going to look at Chris Middleton leading the Bucks to the playoffs, to the finals as a two. Mike Boldenholzer leading his team to the finals as a head coach. And they're just going to keep it like this. I've seen it happen. I've seen Cleveland do it in the LeBron days. They had Kyrie, they had Kevin Love, and they're good. Like Kevin Love was a good three, and Kyrie was a, probably a really good two. But that team needed a third option. But they had Kevin Love. 
And they also tried to reach for the stars with Matthew Della Vadova and Ish Smith. And, and not Ish Smith, but J.R. Smith. They tried with those guys. And what happened to the Cavs? They were always outclassed by the Warriors. They never built a team that could face Golden State. Milwaukee's not built to beat a team in the West. They've got a number one that can't really shoot, so you need a good, consistent shooter behind Giannis. And in my opinion, that's not Chris Middleton. That's, frankly, not really Drew Holiday. And so, sometimes you get the promotion. Initially, it looks great. It looks good on your resume. But in the long haul, it's not going to be fulfilling because things are going to come with it that you probably would prefer didn't. Well, Milwaukee makes the finals. Initially, it looks great on the resume. Giannis has made a finals. Mike Budenholzer has led a team to the finals as a head coach. It looks great. And, and the fans of Milwaukee, we won the Eastern Conference. We're in the NBA Finals for the first time in forever. But as time goes on and Mike Budenholzer remains head coach and does not make halftime adjustments, I mean, KD just eat them alive in the first half. What happened? They still put the same guy on him in the second half, and KD still went for like 50. They're not going to make a joke. Chris Middleton's going to, you know what, Chris Middleton's still going to be your number two option when you need another star with Giannis. Giannis is still not going to be able to shoot that well. I mean, you're not even getting him at even 90% for this series. It's going to be a long series for Milwaukee. And so sometimes it's just not, it's not always good to be where you want to be. Like the Bucks wanted to make the finals. Who doesn't? And they're here. But are they really that good? Are they really going to win the NBA finals? The answer is probably no. Probably not. And that's okay. Milwaukee's not good enough to be a champion. But think about it. They're going to keep things around. Remember Matt Ryan led the Falcons to the Super Bowl? They've stuck with him five years later, and the Falcons haven't really made a Super Bowl push or anything close to that since. Cam Newton led a team to the Super Bowl. He spent like four or five more years in Carolina, and they didn't even sniff the Super Bowl again, but they stuck with him because he did it that one time. Right? He, he did it that one time. You know, and so... There are plenty of teams like that. Some teams are proactive. San Francisco, the Rams. Jared Goff took the Rams to the Super Bowl. Two years later, they trade him. Jimmy Garoppolo led the 49ers to the Super Bowl. Two years later, they draft his replacement. Sometimes you are proactive. Milwaukee being proactive would go out after the season. They lose the series in five. They fire their coach. They get another star. They get a coach that can make halftime adjustments. And boom, Milwaukee's improved. But oftentimes, teams don't do that. And that's why, for now, it looks like this could be a bad thing that they're in the playoffs. That they're, excuse me, that they're in the finals. All right, so enough about that. Enough being a Debbie Downer. Baseball has had a lot of compelling storylines this season. Mike Trout's been out, but the Angels are actually, they have a winning record since Mike Trout left. Uh, The Nationals, my team, are doing that thing again where all of a sudden... 
They stink in the beginning of the season, and then they catch lightning in a bottle the rest of the season. Offense and pitching just come together magically, even without talent or a lot of injuries. Like Kyle Schwarber and Steven Strasburg, and for a while, Trey Turner were all injured. Turner's back. They replaced Schwarber with Alcides Escobar, who hadn't played in three years, and all of a sudden, he's seven for his first 12 as a national. And the Yankees are awful. Yankees are awful. Araldus Chapman and Garrett Cole post sticky stuff alert have some of the worst ERAs in the sport, specifically Chapman. But among starters, it's actually been Garrett Cole, who's been awful since they've started checking for substance. And so there's been a lot of storylines, but the big one, MVP race. American League MVP, is it Shohei Otani or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? There's an argument for both. But here's why I'm taking Vlad. Because Shohei, you got to evaluate Shohei Otani as not just a hitter, but as a pitcher too. Because Shohei Otani, as of July 6, 2021, before the game started, is hitting 277. 31 homers leads all baseball players. Shohei Otani leads the major league in home runs. He's hitting 277, which is okay. You know, he's not a great contact. He doesn't hit for contact. He hits for power. He's like a, he's like a slightly better version of Bryce Harper when it comes to the bat. They hit around the same, but Otani hits more home runs and probably hits for better average than Harper does. So he's a better player. But he also got to evaluate him as a pitcher because that's what he is. He's a pitcher. He's got a 360 ERA. Four decisions on the season. 360 ERA. Last time out against the Yankees, two-thirds of one inning is all he lasted. Gave up seven runs and walked four. Eh. That's not really MVP stuff. Now, he's a great hitter. A lot of guys are great. Otani... All the homers, not really the average. Nick Castellanos, really high average. Michael Brantley, high average. Not as many home runs. Not nearly as many home runs. But they hit for average. How many guys put both of those things together? Because 277 is an okay average, but it's not great. He's not even hitting close to 300 this year, which is usually what MVPs hit. And MVP pitchers do not have an ERAs over 250. His is over 350. Shohei Otani, to me, doesn't seem like an MVP player. Also, his team, as of right now, is six games back of a wild card, nine and a half back of the division lead. And they're not going to win their division or come close. Got too many injuries. Trout's hurt. Anthony Rendon's now hurt. Got a lot of hurt on that team. So they're not going to be better. So he's going to be, he's playing for a fourth place team. He's not going to be around in October for everyone to last. Vlad Guerrero Jr. does have the average, and he does have the home runs. Second most home, uh, second best batting average in the American League. Second most homers, second most RBIs, second most runs scored, second most hits. In, he's top two in all of the major hitting categories in the American League. He plays for a third-place Blue Jays team, which really could end up passing Tampa for a wild card spot. They're only four games back of a wild card. 
They have a better chance to make the playoffs than the Angels do the Blue Jays. So Vlad could be in the playoffs with a much better average, similar home runs, doesn't pitch, so he doesn't have any pitching stats that go against him. So Vlad, to me, seems like he's the American League MVP. Halfway through the year, I would vote for Vladimir Guerrero as the MVP of the American League. He's been outstanding. Top two, he's consistent. He's going to threaten to win the Triple Crown this year. Come on. You got to give that to Vladimir Guerrero. You got to give him MVP. He has stunned everybody by being not great, but elite. Like top five player in the league, great. He's been great. I'd give it to him. Now, we all know who the National League MVP is. It's Jacob deGrom. He's the best pitcher I think I've ever seen. And I've watched Max Scherzer on my team for the last seven seasons. And I've watched Clayton Kershaw for over a decade. You know, I've watched those guys. I've watched really good. I've watched Madison Bumgarner in the postseason. Steven Strasburg in the postseason. I've watched those guys. They were excellent. They ain't DeGrom. (laughs) And the Mets do not deserve Jacob DeGrom. 0.95 ERA, at one point it was under .50. Like, come on, that's just, it's unfair. You know, I watched Jacob deGrom pitch, and last time out against the Braves, he gave up three runs in the first inning, and you thought, well, deGrom's finally unraveling. Retired like the next 15 guys, eight of them threw a strikeout, no decision. It's, It's just, it's perfect. Didn't give up another base runner after a three-run first. Went like six more innings. I don't know how you don't give the MVP of the, of the National League to that guy. He's the best player in all of baseball. He's also hitting almost 400 this year. Leads all pitchers in RBIs outside of Otani. It's Otani one, it's DeGrom two. Very likely both those guys end up MVP of their respective leagues. Although I wouldn't vote Otani. It's the best pitching season I think we'll ever will ever see. We'll never see a first half of a pitching season the way that Jacob Degrom has pitched in the first half. He's been out, absolutely outstanding. He deserves National League MVP. A lot of really compelling storylines in baseball. Lots of it. Look, I talked about the Yankees. All of a sudden they stink. <laughs> all of a sudden they can't hit. They got all the Bronx Bombers and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and DJ LeMahieu and. These guys can't hit anymore. I mean, Judge can. LeMahieu sort of still can. Stanton definitely can't. But what happened to Glaber Torres? He's committed the most errors among all shortstops in Major League Baseball. You're trying to fill the shoes of Derek Jeter, and for a guy like Glaber Torres, (laughs) committing like all these errors this season. Committing the most errors per defensive play of all major league players, most errors among all defense, defensive major league players. Not great. Not great. And that's the problem with the Yankees. They're, the, the, and the bullpen. Don't, even get, don't get me started on the bullpen. Araldus Chapman, first couple months of the season was untouchable. Last month of the season, nothing but touchable. Garrett Cole, since they banned sticky stuff, not very good. Not very good. And they're looking at their fourth place in the division, looking way up at Boston and Tampa Bay and even Toronto. The only other team in their division with a negative run differential other than the Yankees is the Baltimore Orioles, who stink and have stunk for the last five, six years. 
It's not a good look. Maybe it's time to fire Aaron Boone, Brian Cashman. Maybe it's t- t- time to, for Steinbrenner, for Hal Steinbrenner to look up and down the roster and say, you know what? Outside of Aaron Judge, not a championship roster. Got to trade. Get rid of guys. Get rid of Stanton and Chapman's contract. I don't know what you do. I'm not a Yankees fan. Maybe you Yankees fans can enlighten me on who needs to go. I've heard a lot of Gio Urshela. I've heard a lot of Gary Sanchez. I've heard a lot of Giancarlo Stanton. I've heard a lot of guys. Let me know. I don't know. Not a fan. The Nationals, they need starting pitching because John Lester is cooked. And you could make the same argument for Patrick Corbin, who both of those guys have ERAs that start with five. They've made at least 13, 14 starts this season. That ain't great. Okay, that's not good. Patrick Corbin, a Game 7 hero in the World Series a couple of years ago. Since then, he's been nothing but dreadful. It's not good. It's not good. So anyway, that's my ba- – I, I, I want to talk more baseball on here. And, and trust me, I, I, I hope I get on here more. But I do want to talk more baseball. All right, I'm going to end the show talking about some football because it's coming up. We're about a month away from preseason, and of course, I'm very giddy because I love football. It's my favorite sport, the NFL. And so, sitting here thinking about it, and there are five first-round rookie quarterbacks that could play and start meaningful football games in year one. And so, I have looked around because every year I do this. Every year I think about the rookie quarterbacks, and I say, which one has a lot of pressure? Because last season, I said, no pressure on Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow's going to come in. He's playing for a, a team that has the worst roster in the division. A couple teams in their division have Super Bowl aspirations. Cincinnati, is, there's, they're not going to be very good, so there's no pressure on Joe Burrow to win in year one. So I said the same thing about Justin Herbert, and he actually exceeded expectations because he won a lot of games. I said, Justin Herbert doesn't need to win year one. He's got the Chiefs in his division. The Raiders are slightly better roster-wise than the Chargers. And the Chargers don't have a great head coach. Justin Herbert doesn't have much of a defense. Has an okay running game, not great. No defense. No real option at tight end entering the season. I said Justin Herbert does not need to have a great season in year one. The odds are stacked against him, and he went out and balled. But what did I say? I said Tua needs to ball year one. He's playing on a team that could easily win their division. This was before I knew Buffalo was a 13-win team. Miami could win their division. They may have one of the better coaches in the division. They have the, one of the better defenses in the division. And honestly, they have some underrated receivers and a top eight tight end in the league. Tua could succeed in year one. And of the three, Tua looked the worst. He blew it. Honestly, he was disappointing because the Dolphins were supposed to be good this season, improved, and Tua wasn't very good. And you can easily say the same thing. There are five quarterbacks this season, and there is obviously one that has the most pressure. Let's start with the two AFC East quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. Mac Jones for New England, Zach Wilson for the Jets. Mac Jones probably won't play year one. And if he does, then there will be pressure. But since he's not playing year one, I'm going to discount Mac Jones, and I'm also going to discount Trey Lance of the 49ers. Those guys aren't playing year one, and there's just not a lot of pressure on them. They're playing behind guys like Cam Newton and Jimmy Garoppolo, who are about as solid as they get when they're not injured. So if they stay healthy, those two, then we won't see Mac Jones or Trey Lance in year one. So I'm going to discount them. Zach Wilson. 
plays for the Jets. In my opinion, they're one of the four worst teams in all of football, the Jets. They still have no receivers, still really don't have a running game, still have a weak offensive line, a first-year head coach, a rebuilding defense, and by the way, they got to play Miami, Buffalo, and New England a combined six times next year. Yeah, good luck, Jets. No pressure on Zach Wilson. If he looks good, but the team loses, then Zach Wilson will have lived up or exceeded expectation. In my opinion, that means there's no pressure. Okay, Zach Wilson doesn't need to win year one. Okay, so no pressure on Matt Jones, no pressure on Trey Lance, no pressure really on Zach Wilson. Trevor Lawrence is playing for the Jaguars, who play in a division that have Indianapolis. They are a very well-run franchise with a very talented roster. And there's Tennessee, who has also been one of the more well-run franchises of the last four or five years. They have a really nice roster, best running game in the league. Both of those teams have better defenses than Jacksonville. Jacksonville has the third best roster in their division. And he'll get two free wins against the Texans. So right there, Trevor Lawrence gets at least two free wins in his rookie year. And he's playing with a team that has a first-year head coach, not a ton of expectation with Urban Meyer. And the Jaguars are a much-improved team, so they're going to win games. So Trevor Lawrence has a little pressure because he's the number one pick. Jacksonville's never really won anything. There's a little bit of pressure, but not in year one. So that lands on the quarterback that easily has the most pressure in year one. And it's pretty clear and easily Justin Fields. Now, I get it. He's starting the year behind Andy Dalton. People are going to say, he's not going to start week one. He will. Trust me. Bears fans have been waiting for a quarterback since Jim McMahon and probably before that even with Sid Luckman. Okay, the Bears have been waiting for a quarterback for a long time. Justin Fields is the future. He's playing in a division that may no longer have Aaron Rodgers. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't play for the Packers next season, Justin Fields, you could make an argument, best quarterback in the division. Because he'd be going up against Jordan Love, Jared Goff on Detroit, and Kirk Cousins. That's kind of not really the, the, the all-star lineup of quarterbacks you'd have to play a combined six times next year. Oh, you got to play Kirk Cousins twice. The Vikings don't have much of a defense, an elderly head coach, and a quarterback who can't win big games. So you can beat the Vikings. The Lions, they're a mess. You can beat them twice. And then Green Bay without Aaron Rodgers will be equal to Detroit and how big of a mess they are. You can beat them at least once, maybe twice. So you could go 4-2 and two or 5-1 and one in your division with your Justin Fields because guess what? Right now you may have the best coach in the division. You have easily the best defense in the division. You have the best, you have the second best or third number one receiver in the division. Devontae Adams won. You could make an argument. Justin Jefferson too, but, but Allen Robinson's up there. All right, and then you got an underrated running game and your head coach and GM have put their jobs on the line because of you. So Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, if Justin Fields doesn't work out, they are both getting fired by the Bears. So if Justin Fields works out, then, then great. That's expectation. Is that Justin Fields works out and leads Chicago to the playoffs as a rookie. Because the Bears, without Aaron Rodgers in the division, Bears are easily the best team in the NFC North. They should win the division by a couple games. 
But if Justin Fields comes out and falls flat on his face, then eh, that ain't good. You got the wrong guy. But that, you're wasting another year at that roster. They didn't draft Justin Fields. They, they went up in the draft because they say, we cannot waste this awesome roster and great coaching staff on Andy Dalton. We need a young, electrifying, first-round rookie quarterback, Justin Fields, out of a big school like Ohio State. He needs to work. Because if he don't, that's not good. That's not good for Chicago. And it's especially not good for Justin Fields. People will look at him like they look at Tua. He couldn't win with the Bears' loaded defense and great coaching staff. Tua couldn't win with the Dolphins' loaded defense and awesome coaching staff in front office. Huh. All I'm saying, people are going to look at Justin Fields. It's a wide open division. Because Trey Lance is also, by the way, if Trey Lance plays this season, he'd be playing in a loaded division. <laughs> so if Trey Lance doesn't even get top two in his division, who cares? The Seahawks and the Rams are excellent teams with Super Bowl aspirations. 49ers, eh, not so much. They didn't even make the playoffs last year. Mac Jones, same thing. Playing a division with Miami and Buffalo. Buffalo could easily play in the Super Bowl next year. Okay, And, and then, you know, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson probably won't be in the playoffs as rookies. So Justin Fields could win a playoff game with this roster or two. Make the NFC Championship game. He needs to win year one. All I'm saying. All right, and, and then I was, I, was, I was, excuse me, I was also thinking, there is one more team that, or there's one more scenario where there's a lot of pressure because teams that need quarterbacks dump their current guys for new guys. It happens all the time. Free agency trade. So there were about six quarterbacks that changed teams. They were starting for one team. They're going to be starting for a new team. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jared Goff, Matthew Stafford, Carson Wentz, Sam Darnold, Teddy Bridgewater. So who has the most pressure among them? They were brought in to save the team. So here's, so Teddy Bridgewater is playing in a division with Kansas City and the Chargers. At best, he's the third best, but he's arguably the worst quarterback in his division. And he's got the worst coach in his division. There's no pressure. Okay, no pressure on Teddy Bridgewater. He probably won't even start. So there's no pressure on him because Drew Locke may still start. Okay. Then there is Sam Darnold. There's some pressure there. Okay. I mean, Sam Darnold played for the Jets and he was terrible. He's the worst pass rating in football over the last two, two, three seasons. That's not an accident. Okay, Sam Darnold's been awful. No one will deny that. But he's playing in a division that has Tom Brady and Bruce Arians in it, the reigning Super Bowl champ Bucks, who, by the way, only got better in the offseason. So you're not going to win the division. Well, what about second? Well, the other quarterbacks in your division, there's Matt Ryan, a former league MVP, and the Falcons were absolutely loaded on offense. And then there's New Orleans, who are one of the best, most well-coached teams in football. So Carolina still may be a third or fourth place team, so there's no pressure on Sam. Now, there's pressure on him to succeed because he's never succeeded. So he needs to go and he needs to ball out so he can make money. So there's a little bit of pressure, but there's no pressure to win. Sam Darnold goes and wins six, seven games this year. That's looked at as, okay, not bad. You can win some games with Sam Darnold, not bad. 
Okay, what about uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick? Not a lot of pressure. I mean, yeah, you're in a division that you could win, and you're playing with a great defense and a great coach and some great receivers, legit tight end, and a great running game. So Ryan Fitzpatrick has a very nice team around him. But he's also Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's entering year 17. He's never been to a Pro Bowl. He's never led a team to the playoffs. There's not a lot of expectation because he's never done it before. And his career is almost over anyway. Fitzpatrick is what he is. There's no legacy on the line for Ryan Fitzpatrick. And then there is Jared Goff. Yeah, he got traded to Detroit. In my opinion, they're a bottom four or five team in the NFL. They're going to be last in their division. They're going to be competing for the number one overall pick next year. Not a lot of pressure on Jared Goff. He has a first-year head coach and a barren wasteland at wide receiver. He's not going to be that good this year. And then there's Carson Wentz, who everybody will probably say needs to be because he was so bad last year. And back in 2017, he was MVP of the league, and he got hurt, and his team won the Super Bowl anyway. And, you know, he got hurt again, and his backup led them to the playoffs again when they shouldn't have gone. And then last year, his, he was there for the full season, and they won 4-12. and And Carson Wentz led the league in interceptions, and he can't play anymore. So, yeah, that's, that's a point. That's a good point. There's pressure. But he's also in a division with the Titans. Okay, so he's going to be duking it out. There is a lot of pressure on Carson Wentz. But he's back with the coach that he succeeded with before. Very winnable division. Great offensive line. Great running game. An underrated receiving core. Awesome defense. Carson Wentz should bounce back. Here is the one quarterback with the biggest pressure in the NFL this season. Matthew Stafford with the Rams. You can't use that argument. He's got a great coach, great defense. Yeah, I get it. But all I've heard over the last decade, with Matthew Stafford playing for the Detroit Lions, if he only had the coach, if he only had the defense, if he only had the running game, if he only had any, if he only gave Matthew Stafford everything, he'd be great. But he's in Detroit, and they don't win. Now he's going to a team that, or, or a city that wins a lot, Los Angeles, one of the media capitals of the country. And Matthew Stafford has a great coach, Sean McVay. He's won, he won with Jared Goff, okay? And everyone thinks Jared Goff is washed up. McVay was winning playoff games with Jared Goff. Jared Goff, before McVay showed up, was awful, was a bust. McVay shows up, boom, he's a multiple-time pro bowler, goes to a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, in 12 seasons in Detroit, was 0-3 in the playoffs. It's a big stat. He was 0-3 in the playoffs. Matthew Stafford also has a career losing record in the NFL. And you think, well, it's because he was on the Lions. Really? Because Matthew Stafford also has like the most game-winning drives in the NFL over the last 10 years. He's been to one Pro Bowl in 12 years. One Pro Bowl for Matthew Stafford. And people are like getting in all the time. Like Teddy Bridgewater's a Pro Bowler. Andy Dalton's a three-time Pro Bowler. Guys get in. Kirk Cousins is a two-time Pro Bowler. Stafford's been to one in 12 years. I thought he was the most talented quarterback anyone's ever seen. Last three years, if you averaged it out per 16 games, Matthew Stafford would average 4,100 yards, 26 touchdowns, 10 picks, 
A combined record of 14-25-1. Doesn't win. He throws touchdowns, but he also throws some interceptions. This is the biggest test of his career. He's got to win. And, and look, he, he can't even just win one playoff game because the Rams have higher aspirations. Great head coach. Great defense. Okay, they got two of the best defensive players in the league on the same team, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Great receivers. Great tight end. Always a great running game with McVay. Great offensive line. Everything's great with the Rams, and they play in a really tough division, and in my opinion, they're like the most talented team in the toughest division in football. And everyone thinks they're one quarterback away. You got to replace Jared Goff with Matthew Stafford. The pressure is on. They have put Super Bowl expectations on the Rams this season, and a lot of it's because of Stafford. They can't just win a wild card game next year. They can't just be even be in the wild card game. They gotta, they gotta make that first round bye. They gotta outduel the reigning champion Tampa Bay Bucks in the playoffs. And then they gotta go to the Super Bowl and hold their own with Matthew Stafford. That's expectation. Okay, they went to a Super Bowl with Goff. They got to go to one with Stafford. Okay, they're still in that window with McVay in his mid-30s. The pressure is on. That is who has the most pressure heading into this season. There's no expectation for Teddy Bridgewater, for Sam Darnold, for Ryan Fitzpatrick. There's no expectation. Those guys have never been great. Not really expectation for Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Now, there is a lot more for Wentz than there is Goff, but still not a ton. Compared to Stafford, he's got to win. Disagree with me? Let me know. This has been another great episode of the Jadava Show. I thank you all for listening up to this point, and I really do appreciate it. I hope everybody has a great Tuesday night watching the NBA Finals, even though by the time you hear this, you will have already watched it. And so until then, thank you all for listening to another episode of the Jadava Show. I've been your host, Jacob Valliere, and we will see you all very, very soon.